Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody, to another outro for the Southern Outdoorsman podcast. I uh, hope you uh, Florida and Mississippi folks are having fun over there with your turkey seasons while the rest of us are still waiting around. Jacob, how are you doing? Oh, doing well. Hey, not as well as some of those uh, guests and listeners coming in, especially from uh, Mississippi. Yeah, seeing quite a few people putting birds in, I'm like, dang, dude. Yeah, right off that. Yeah, I I actually, to be completely honest, forgot that Mississippi was opening earlier than everybody. Mm-hmm. And I started seeing all these turkey pictures. I was like, oh, man, people yeah. are already getting after them. Yeah. Uh, I was gonna say uh, I was talking to some of the guys at uh, Mark's Outdoors today uh, at the uh, Turkey uh, Turkey Day event, and you know some of the guys were from Mississippi, and they're like, "Yeah, I was talking to him. I was like, man, I'm you know kind of jealous of you guys. Like, oh yeah, yeah, you know it's, it's crazy going. But he's like, oh, you know we won't be hunting until this week anyways. You know because we're, we're out traveling, going mm-hmm. different events and stuff. I'm like, hey, you know you gotta do what you gotta do. But season is coming upon us for the rest of us uh, across the southeast and really across the country. Uh, just Mississippi, those guys are getting a little head start on us, and then of course Florida, you know. Hot and heavy as always, but yeah, dude, it's crazy. Also, you well, you've got a let me let me look at the date. You've got next week. What next Friday? You got a youth hunt next uh, Saturday. I got a youth hunt. Um, <clears throat> I don't know when youth weekend. I think youth weekend might actually be this weekend. I'm not totally sure, but we're doing it on public land, and so it's pushed back a week. 
Uh, so next Friday is an actual opening day, I believe, uh, the 25th. Um, anyways, n- next week I'm going to do a youth hunt, and then I'm, i got a private land hunt lined up I'm going to go do. Mm. Uh, and then the weekend after that, public land season starts, which is most of my spots. So we're going to go do that. It'll be hot and heavy. Hot yes, and heavy. sir. But uh, anyways, this week's been a fun week. Had, uh, of course, earlier on in the week, we got um, Billy Yardis came on, did the episode with uh, Michael, myself, and our buddy Kyle up at NWTF, which was an interesting episode. That was when, if you people have listened to that episode, it's actually pretty entertaining because Michael gets to ask, he asks, he talked for 95% of the episode. I talked for a little bit at the beginning, maybe a couple questions like in the very middle and then just wrapped it up. Um, and he came from the whole per- perspective of, you know, a super green turkey hunter and kind of talked about it from that angle. And it was, dude, it was super interesting to kind of hear him and some of those thoughts and everything. And actually I had a listener message us today and said that uh, he was thankful for that episode. And he actually learned a lot from Billy because Michael asked some questions that some guy, a lot of people would probably overlook like asking, mm-hmm. especially if you've turkey hunted some. And clearly, you know, we get listeners like probably some of y'all are listening that maybe you, you just haven't turkey hunted before or don't really have much experience. And Billy really simplifies a lot of things, which is fantastic. So to me, that episode goes like hand in hand with uh, the one we did with Shane Simpson last year, the fundamentals of turkey hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, just again, like a great, you know, one, two episode for anybody that's new kind of getting into the, you know, the whole, you know, turkey hunting game, I turkey hunting world. Yeah. That was a good episode with Michael. Uh, Michael, uh, as you may have noticed, is absent from this one too. Old boy's been working a ton lately, so that's why you haven't heard Michael here in a while, except for the ones that we recorded back at NWTF, mm-hmm. uh, which we still got some in the bank uh, from that. So we got some good ones. Shane Simpson actually makes another appearance mm-hmm. on that one. So those are going to be coming out over the next couple weeks. We're also getting some other people lined up to have on for turkey and deer episodes going throughout the spring. So. Y'all stay tuned because we're still recording. You know, even though we've had all these in the bank, we're still knocking them out. Uh, and yeah, and then of course uh, on Wednesday's episode, we had Lane Legacy back on. Those guys, both uh, Matt Dye and uh, Chad Keith uh, from Lane Legacy, and that was a fun episode, man. That it was kind of funny that episode. We, we I think we talked about in the episode if Andrew left it in. I haven't gotten to that part where we recorded probably thirty five minutes worth, and we were sitting in our booth, and it was the last day of the show. Show just ended. It was on Saturday. And uh, they were tearing down booths and all kinds of stuff around us. And we're like, okay, maybe we can sit here for a little bit and knock it out. And they're literally, no, they're taking, they're like tearing our booth apart because it was like a big block, like glass booth. They were tearing our booth apart while we were sitting in. I'm like, okay, guys, we got to wrap it up. (laughs) I mean, there was guys with the climbing gear. They're trying to like get stuff out of the rafters and everything. Oh yeah, undo. And they're like with climbing gear about to climb up, whatever. Those dudes started, I mean, they started knocking it out, too. It was pretty impressive. Yeah, so we had to pick up and, and go over to the, the media room to finish that episode up. But that was, a, that was a really fun episode. Kind of steal before steal. Talked about that, the whole habitat aspect, and got into some deer as well later on that episode. Um, so, you know, this super, super interesting. Those are a great group of guys. And, of course, you know, y'all can go check out their podcast. Like we mentioned on that episode, of course, check out Lane and Legacy. Uh, I'm sure we'll have them back on a little bit more this year uh, as things kind of progress. But, again, another fun episode. But uh, Yeah, that's one that you were wanting to talk about all week. You were, like, all over that subject. Really, you've been over it for a while, ever since we started talking to Adam a bunch. Yeah, with the habitat. Just, yeah. Like, yeah. Man, habitat's a big deal, man. Like, listen, it's like, uh, you know, you can always, like, you can take, take, take to the point when, like, there's nothing else to give from the landscape because you just take everything. And, like, the habitat, you just, you pay attention so much to the wildlife, but you don't, maybe don't pay attention so much to the habitat that the wildlife needs. And some people are like, oh, well, that's, that's common sense. But for a lot of people, it's not. Yeah. You know, they'll just, you know, nothing against it. They may, you know, put a food plot in or something for deer, but, or turkeys or whatever, but they're not helping anything else with any other life cycle other than when they're at maturity 
and mm-hmm. they're just trying to give them food instead of you know focusing on any kind of cover or any other kind of food sources at other life part, parts of the life cycle cycle, um, yeah. which is you know pretty important. I mean, us. the animals are so adaptive. I mean, um, <clears throat> they can survive in so many different situations, whether it be deer, you know, living in pretty much urban areas, or you know, turkeys on the landscape. Just because they're there doesn't mean that the habitat's ideal. You know, they might be really struggling. And that's something that they talk about a lot, and that's something that more people have been talking about lately here there's just a lot more voices out there talking about that kind of issue especially with the turkey decline which is obviously like a big subject especially in the south right now uh where turkey numbers are declining and a lot of people will say oh it's this or that and now it seems like a lot more of the voices are saying well it's all of those things habitat included predators included you know all of the above Mm -hmm. uh but the habitat's an extremely important part of that um kind of goes back to like growing up you know we talk about we've done videos on the whole like you know, green carpet, quote unquote, effect of, you know, you get your stem exclusion pines that the canopies grow together and there's nothing growing up underneath those pines and it's like a pine straw desert. But, mm-hmm. you know, you might grow up and hunt in a place like that, like I did, and see deer and you're like, oh, they love this. Well, just because they're there doesn't mean they love it. You know, yeah. it doesn't mean it's good for them. It's just all they have. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's, it's easy to overlook habitat. I mean, I, I did for a really long time until I started, you know, consuming content from people like, grant woods or land and legacy and they they explain like no just because the deer are there doesn't mean that what they have is what they need mm-hmm. so something to that effect also another thing that was interesting from that episode is the idea of like they talked about like managing that herd like a lot of people just like oh i just want more deer i want more deer i want more turkeys and turkeys are one thing but like oh i just want more deer i want more deer and it's like well deer eat so much food a year if you're going to and they talked about this in the episode which again i highly recommend you guys going back and listen to that one this past or this wednesday's episode the idea of like they did all this habitat work on uh, Chad and Adams' uh, farm, and all this habitat restoration—you know, ton of cutting, a lot of early sessional habitat, ton of food on the ground—but they got ahead of that kind of you know explosion of deer numbers because they knew it was going to happen and started taking out you know more and more does, which leaves better food quality on the habitat for the rest of the deer. You know, the other does that you know of course survive and also the bucks which then is going to give your bucks more opportunity to be able to put on their full antler potential, which is, I mean, awesome. I mean, for all of us, you know, I don't think there's anybody on here that if you had two deer in front of you, same age, exact same age, let's say they're both five and a half years old, and one's 100, 100 inches, and one's a 160, I don't know anybody shooting the 100 inch deer. Everybody's going to want to try to shoot the 160 if everything else is equal. Um, and it's, it's the same thing. It's like if you have more food on the landscape for more higher quality food, higher quality cover, not only are you going to be able to potentially help those deer get to their full potential, but also have that cover that holds them there and the quality of food and the does that holds them there so they kind of potentially could shrink that home range a little bit, yeah. uh, which is a very interesting you know topic to be had uh, you know when talking about that kind of stuff. So. Yeah, and we got into some weird stuff that I'd never really thought about, which is like the social pressures and everything that deer might face, like the fact that there's too many deer. And that that's kind of a fun rabbit hole to go down because you don't think about it like that when they're talking about like, oh man, you need to lower your deer numbers. And you know, like you said in the episode, most people are like, lower my deer numbers. Like I love having a bunch of deer. I see deer all the time. Um, I don't know. I guess it just depends on where you're from, but it seems kind of like counterintuitive to people. But you know, one way that I think Matt put it in that episode was, you know, enough deer where you're seeing deer when you go hunting, but there's not so many of them that they just have like everything mowed down. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no food out there for them. And, uh, I don't know, the deer herd is just stressed because there's too many of them. It's kind of like, you know, if you've like put me in downtown Birmingham, <laughs> I get very stressed very quickly. Yeah, me and Adam talked about this. I can't remember if we talked about it on the podcast or maybe I might have talked to him about this when I was driving up to Iowa, but like the idea of like, you know, you have some of these areas, especially like in Alabama, but every state has areas that have like lower deer numbers. 
But it seems like some of those areas of those low deer numbers produce some really high quality bucks. And it's one of those areas that the guys that are most successful most likely have like the most patience. Like they're, you know, they're in there and they're, they're spending a lot of time in the woods and they're, they're able to be successful. And I was talking to the Adam about this, like the idea of like buying property, if you're going to buy property or even lease property, whatever and it, well, leasing would be different, but definitely buying property, you know, buying an area that has a really high deer density and you can do some habitat work with, or an area that has lower deer density. It has the potential for, you know, quality bucks, but it's lower deer density and you still have to do habitat work. He would go to the place probably with a lower deer density because he could be able to go through, increase that habitat quality and stay on top of the deer herd instead of going to an area that already has high deer numbers. And then you enhance the property and enhance the habitat. Then there's an explosion of more deer. So you're having to go around and kill way, 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 way more deer just to try to keep up on the situation to give those, you know, bucks and those other deer opportunity to be able to, you know, express their full potential. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was really, really interesting. So, but it makes sense again from that aspect. Yeah. I mean, it sounds crazy when you hear people who are like, man, we need to kill a hundred does this year. And you're like a hundred does mm-hmm. like, holy crap. They're just like inviting everybody they know over to come shoot a doe. Mm-hmm. I mean, I met people like that. So good people to know, you know, <laughs> if you want to go get some dough meat, the yeah, just stack some meat. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but anyways, but yeah, other than that, you know, it's just a super, super fun episode. Um, but, uh, other than that, other than that, I'll say, uh, we have officially launched the Southern waters podcast. Yes, sir. We're very excited about that. Uh, you probably noticed a little extra episode in your feed yesterday. Uh, that was our promotion for it. Basically. Um, Southern waters podcast went live it is a distinct podcast separate from this one. Uh, so totally different feed. You got to go find it, subscribe to that one. Uh, we decided to do it under a different show, like a, a different title and everything. Just keep everything separated, keep it organized and, you know, like business reasons, I guess. Uh, so you can go find that by just looking up Southern Waters Podcast wherever you yep. get your podcast, Spotify iTunes in the show notes below you can click it in the show notes below it's down there you can go click it and find it yep go hit that subscribe button I already got the first episode out the first main episode at least uh Jacob you want to tell them about that yeah well of course it's Southern Waters Fishing Podcast uh by the way uh I should give a shout out Parker McDonald came clutch on that cover art yes he helped us out in a pinch too because we needed it quick yeah and so, he got it done quick yeah so Parker McDonald from Southern Ground and also White Hawk what's it White Hawk Creative Co I yeah. think I probably get I that right. I don't want to botch it. Let me, let me. I'll look it up real quick. So yeah, we uh, we, this has been a fiasco behind the scenes over the last couple of weeks because we've been trying to figure out this cover art because you need some good cover art for a podcast. Because I I said it in a little thing we released yesterday that places like Spotify and iTunes they uh they prioritize like good cover art like that they have some kind of software that can like look at it and everything and it prioritizes the high quality stuff because they don't want to be putting a bunch of crappy stuff on their uh on their thing so parker's thing is a white hawk creative co so yeah he uh he came in and we got it we got a pretty not great uh pretty terrible uh cover art from from this guy off the internet which is pretty bad oh that (laughs) was was on me some random guy andrew's like oh this guy's legit i'm like okay i mean he he had done some cool stuff in the past but hadn't done anything wildlife really no that's and he so like signs were there well we we gotta put this out because i think it's just hilarious so like you tell me hey we want to like put a spotted bass on here i have an idea five pictures of a spotted bass and what, what did he send you back a tuna he sent me back a tuna, and there's like seaweed <laughs> on the scene. I'm like, no, none of this is right. Like, take off the seaweed, make the water not like deep blue, and make it not a tuna. <laughs> hey, you know what's funny? So I didn't, 
I, I didn't know. Like, you told me that. I was like, okay, well, you sent me a screenshot, like, yesterday, whatever, when we were looking at the thumbnail images, like, and you had, like, all your photos, and I saw it because it's in your photos right there, and I was like, oh, my God. Like, it was so bad. I'm like, what is this? Yeah, like, a freaking yellowfin tuna is, like, what he put as for, anyways. Yeah, going, going after, like, a, what kind of bait we have on there? It's some bait. It was going for a bait. Uh, oh, like it's like a spinner bait. Uh, yeah, but like, we we pulled it off and we kind of simple design. But anyways, but yeah, yeah. Parker came in super clutch because he not only did he come in clutch and do a good job on, it, but also super quick, which was freaking awesome. Yeah, twenty four hours. Yeah, I was like the, that's when I, the other one took yeah. fifteen days for him to send me a tuna. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, man, come on. Yeah, dude. Yeah, Parker called me. He's like, okay, hey, what's your thoughts? And I had sent him like a long text message, kind of like what we were wanting. And like we hashed it out, looked at it. He just kept texting me back and forth. He's, and finally, I mean, we got it worked out like literally in like, once we told him like we were good to go within like six hours, we had it done, which I was like, this is awesome. Yeah. Uh, I so, was again, extremely he, he impressed. He was appreciated. Appreciate, appreciate Parker. That was awesome. Yeah. Um, very, very, very good job on that. Yeah. But of course, y'all can go check that out. If you go over, just talking about while we're talking about Southern Waters uh, Fishing Podcast, go over to Facebook and look up Southern Waters Fishing Podcast. Give us a like on there. And of course, uh, join the Facebook group as well. Of course, you know y'all may know us as um, you know the owners and run uh, the Running Gun Whitetail Hunters page, which has about eighty four thousand members as of right now. So a lot of you that listen to this podcast are probably already in that group too. But we appreciate if you love fishing or really like the outdoors, like fishing as well. Go join our fishing page, which is just called Southern Waters Fishing. Uh, it's a group uh, you can go join that, and Andrew may have that in the show notes. Yeah, I'll have it in the show notes. Cool. So, so you can, can find it down there. Have that too. So kind of join the community. You know, follow us on Facebook and Instagram as well. Uh, and then also, once you hit that link below. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and go give it a listen. Let us know what you think because we're taking the same interviewing style that we use for the Southern Outdoors and podcast, what we do, you know, here, and just applying it towards fishing because it's something that I have a passion for, had a passion, especially as a as a younger kid. Uh, actually, fished uh, back in middle school. It was I was just in the age range when they started doing like high school bass fishing and also like some middle schools has had uh, teams. And that's when I started fishing uh, somewhat competitive, well, competitively. Uh, I did that for a few years and then stopped uh, just because the high school I went to, unfortunately, didn't have a fishing team, which kind of sucked. But uh, <laughs> listen, if I would have went to a local school, dude, I would have been 100% on the fishing team. Like that would have been, I would oh, yeah. go on. Um, but anyway, so same kind of interviewing style. You know, our, the whole goal is, and this is something I've written, you know, in a couple of places about the podcast is, you know, no matter your experience level, we can all become better anglers and share that experience with other people. And get them, in, you know, into the outdoors because it's like I feel like fishing is such a low barrier of entry. Yeah, depending on like where you live and also kind of what access you get. Because I feel like, well, some areas it's not easy to get access on some private property with private lakes, but some, but other areas you have private waterways, you have your creeks, you have your streams and stuff like that. That uh, depending on your you know stream laws, you know you can get access to and go fish, and you can do it fairly easily. Uh, so you know we're trying to share that knowledge, and also the goal is to have a lot of listener success stories coming from this podcast. Because again, it's very I'm not saying like tactic driven like the, the Southern Outdoorsman deer hunting podcast aspect of it, but it's very much like nitty gritty in the details. No, you know, no stone left unturned. Um, you know, really kind of breaking stuff down for everybody. So thoroughly enjoyed it, but. What you've asked me, Andrew, and I've gone a whole circle around it, is first episode is with uh, uh, Mike Carter, who runs a guide business and guide service up on Lake Gunnersville in the Tennessee River in Alabama, uh, specializing in bass and crappie. Uh, has been competitively bass fishing since the uh, the mid-80s tournament uh, fishing and has been uh, professionally guiding for uh, just over 18 years now uh, for both bass and crappie. 
So uh, he's a wealth of knowledge, a really good guy, fun personality. I mean, super fun catches personality. Catches some giant crappie. Catches a monster crappie. Uh, some strategies and style of fishing that I really like. Um, just well, stuff I wasn't familiar with. But yeah, well, like his styling is there, there's just on the crappie side. I don't want to get too much in the weeds. I want you all to go listen to it. But uh, some some crappie guys, especially in the wintertime, will do what's called like spider rigging or trolling for for crappie, which is fine. You're running multiple rods off the front of the boat or potentially the back, but most of times off the front of the boat, and uh, you know with the trolling motor covering ground, which is fine. But he, he's very much kind of a you know not old school, but very much like a, a caster. You know, he's going out there and truly covering water and kind of fine-tuning. As he says, he's hunting for those crappie. Second he said that uh, phrase, yeah, I'm that like, fired you up, I'm, like, I'm in, bro. I'm in. <laughs> said hunting for crappie. Yeah. Now, now we're talking about, yeah, we're not fishing, we're hunting, okay? Yep. But uh, anyways, thoroughly enjoyed, uh, you know, that episode. Then we got another great episode coming out next week. But make sure you guys go check it out. Check out the Southern Waters podcast. Uh, give us a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and share it with a buddy, especially if you've got other buddies that are big into fishing. Or if you get friends that listen to this podcast, go share them one of those episodes as well because we thoroughly uh, thank you for all your support really up to this point and, and going into the future as well with everything we've been doing. So we appreciate it. Yeah, and uh, on those two episodes, so we've done two episodes with uh, Mike over there. Uh, the second one hadn't come out yet. That's going to be coming out next Thursday. Uh, the one that came out yesterday, between the one that came out yesterday and the one coming out next Thursday, we cover topics on pre-spawn and spawn crappie. Uh, and we cover topics such as, uh, you know, reading the water to figure out basically where you should be fishing, finding current eddies and stuff like that. Reading the banks to figure out what the bottom is going to be like and whether or not crappie are going to be there. Uh, he talks about catching crappie in spots with or without structure, just based on the setup, reading maps, uh, to figure out where you should go to you know, uh, make, make the most of your time, uh, fishing after a cold front, fishing on sunny days versus fishing in like pastures, day. fishing in pastures, which uh, I'm just going to leave it at that. Yeah. Y'all you're like, go. what the heck? Like, yeah. Andrew, you're giving out too much details. Hold on a second. If they're curious, no, I'm just gonna, giving them topics. I know. If they're curious that you go, go check out the show notes guys. Go, go, oh, yeah. go give a sub. You're going to thoroughly enjoy it. How but, you're scaring all your fish away with your trolling motor. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's true. That's yeah. That's a good tip. That's a really oh, good tip. I, I've known that. Yeah. I've, I've known that, but it's just, to me, like when you're bass fishing, unless you're fishing beds, it's not like, or like, unless you're fishing beds or like a structure like really, really close to you, it doesn't come into a factor. But like, yeah, crappie, we're like, what he's talking about, boat docks and like tight structure. Yeah, that's, that is huge. Um, uh, in other notes and, and other aspects, uh, I actually went down, um, I was hanging out with uh, Anthony a couple nights ago, went over to his place, his house down at the farm. And when I walked in, he was telling me, he sent me a couple images, and actually, we'll use this. In so, probably, we might put this on social media uh, tomorrow. But no, went over to Anthony's, and uh, he actually got uh, actually it's four coyotes mounted, full body mounts, and a gray fox. Okay, and they're all like these individual poses. And he got one, and it was he's calling. He's like, dude, he's like, hey, I need, I need your help. Come over, help me. You know, load the coyotes up. I gotta you know take them inside and get them set up. And I was running a little bit late, and I finally get down there. He's like, dude, I about broke my back trying to get these in here. I'm like, what are you talking about? Because I'm like in like. A full body coyote can't weigh that much. Like real, like really. I go in there and it's like a frick. They're like full scenes, dude. Like there's one. It's like in a lay down position and it's got its paw out and it's actually like like it's being trapped. And he built this box platform uh, in his den where it like lays on it. He's got he brought dirt in. He's got an old steel trap. Uh, <laughs> it's got its paw like stuck in like he put it around the paw. It's, Paul's stuck on it and it's like tethered into it so it looks like it's staked down and everything. I mean, it looks legit. He's got like, he brought like some um, broom sage or sedge in there and like kind of like, you know, got in different clumps and everything. I mean, it looks legit and he's got one, it's, it's on, mounted on a log 
It's like kind of you know creeping down, and he says he wants to get a rabbit. He wants to go kill a rabbit. Hopefully not damage it. Get it mounted and like put it at the end of the log. And I'm like, I don't know if a rabbit on the log would work good. But I'm like, maybe, I don't know, maybe something else. Squirrel. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, he's got another one. So two of the coyotes. Actually, no, it's three black coyotes or black phase. One's got like a little patch of white like on his chest, and then kind of like a, I don't know, gray color, uh, gray black. But anyways, it, it's crazy. I mean, it, it's. I told him. I want to take him up to Mr. Perry's house and show him Mr. Perry's because Mr. Perry, Michael Perry has like the most impressive trophy room I've ever seen because it's not just deer. It's freaking bears. There's like six or seven full body black bears. There's two full body uh, Alaska coastal uh, brown bears. There's a full body Arctic grizzly. There's, I mean, moose in there, a full body mountain lion he just got. And then all the deer you yep. could ever imagine. There's pronghorn, there's antelope, there's an otter. State record buck. State record bucks in there. It's going to be a full body state, full body mount. Yep. But Which was, I got to see this past weekend, and wow. Where'd you see it? How'd you see it? At the uh, event at Oak Mountain. Oh, he brought it? Okay, yeah. awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, so I was talking like, man, that thing is impressive. <laughs> did, you, did, you, did you let you pick it up? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's got some weight. It's heavy. It. Yeah. Well, yeah. what do you think, man? There's it's ginormous. It's it's ridiculous. And, dude, it's got so much, so many little things on that deer's antlers that you, like, you're just things. never going to catch in a photo. Think, things, things, little things? stickers and yeah. and like little extra points and stuff that you're just you're never gonna catch them on any kind of picture. And uh, around his bases, a lot of those little you know like knobs and everything mm-hmm. around his bases were like very freshly broken off. I mean, like super fresh. Like he had just done it before he got killed. I've never seen them that look like that. Uh, so I don't know if it, did he show that to you? Yeah, well, actually, there's more tine missing on one of his. He's broke off a tine. Yeah. So like per. Like photos that um, you know, Perry got of and everything. I mean, he easily, I'll say fairly, not easily. He could have been over two hundred inches if he wasn't broke up. Yeah, which is ridiculous <laughs> in Alabama. Giant, uh, but yeah, no, it's it's crazy. But like you said, like you, there's no. That's one reason I think he's getting the full body mount so you can get like you can walk up to it and get a better like look yeah. at the deer because there's no pose you can put it in, or you can see all those times at one spot. There's like a part on the inside of his main beam where oh, yeah, there's yeah. like two little like hooks coming out, like two little points that look like little turkey spurs that like hook out in the same direction as the main beam. And I've never seen those. Like no, you, you're just not getting them in a picture yeah. unless you just take a picture of just them. Mm. It is super cool. Houndstooth Game Call's Dixie Hen Slate was just voted the overall best turkey call by Field and Stream Outdoors, and trust me, it's super easy to run and be extremely dynamic when you're in the turkey woods. Now, we've mentioned a couple of these calls in the past, like the Spur Master and the Success Call in a past episode with both Gary Vines and Lyle Gilbert of Houndstooth Game Calls. And it was funny enough, y'all actually bought every Spur Master call and Success Call they had. Now, pay attention to their website. They're going to have some more come up in stock in the next few days. So when they come available, make sure you get one if you did not purchase one before they sold out last time. Both the Spurmaster and the Success Call are fantastic for hunting high-pressure turkeys, whether you're on a hunting club where you have a lot of other members hunting those same turkeys, or if you're on public land. Again, both of those calls will make you sound a little bit different from everybody else and be a lot more subtle in your calling technique and be able to really help close those distance with those gobblers. So if you want to give Houndstooth Game Calls a try, go to houndstoothgamecalls.com. Use the promo code SOP24. Again, promo code SOP24 for 15% off houndtoothgamecalls.com. Well, and I was telling him about all that kind of stuff, but dude, he, he's got that place set up this with the uh <laughs> with the coyotes. The coyotes are crazy. I took Pepper down there and she's running around. I was like, hey Pepper, come here. And she saw she saw the 
Cash, she's like, what the, you know, she's like, <laughs> she's, she's like, she's like, she's like head bobbing. She's like, I don't know about this, dude. This is kind of a little sketch. But anyways, it's, it's pretty crazy. But yes, yeah, so he's got three black kites. He, he trapped, so he trapped four kites last year. Three were black. He had, he had a pack of black kites and like one natural color coyote. Trapped the whole uh, the whole pack and uh, got them all mounted. And I'm like, that's, oh, that's wow. awesome. Dude, he worked out a deal. I don't know who he used uh, for the tax service. He told me, I can't remember the guy's name. Dude, he did like, actually, I think he trapped maybe it was five black kites and he gave, he gave him a black pelt. And then he like cut off some of the price because he was going to use it for like another project. And I think he got like three kites done for like less than a thousand dollars. And they look good too. I was, like, I was going to ask it. I was going to ask how much that was. Yeah. I mean, let, for like th- for actually four, four mounted. Mm-hmm. And gave the guy, and he gave him a huge discount with it. Uh, but I was like, God, it's, it's cool. That's the one thing I always want to do. But one thing we talked about doing. So if you go to Weaver's Texter or uh, Weaver's Processing, uh, up in uh, Hartsville, Alabama, Falkville. Some people say Falkville. I think the address is Hartsville, though. Uh, when you walk in, it's like a huge kind of trophy room. Like you, when you walk in, it's kind of I mean, real well done, kind of what they got around there. If you look, they have a bunch of hanging hides, like tanned hides of a bunch of coyotes. And it's like the coolest thing. And I, I was thought about this. When I saw them, I was like, man, I kind of want to shoot a coyote now and just do like a hanging hide or something or something like a, mm-hmm. like a throat hide. Like kind of what you did at Fox. Yeah, right we got a fox over here on the mini fridge that I shot when I was 16 and I tanned that hide myself. Mm. Aluminum sulfate, baby. Well, it, well, we need to do it then. But because uh, Anthony, who's asking me, he said, like, man, you know any, uh, any tanneries? I'm like, yeah, I actually do. I know two, really. Uh, one that was highly regarded to me by my taxidermist. And, uh, but he's like, yeah, I kind of want to do some hanging hides, like because he's got a few more kites that moved in. He said the second that pack was gone, he said within three months another like a couple more had moved into the area, and I'm like, holy crap! And I'm like, that's crazy. <laughs> um, but anyway, kind of like what Land of Legacy is talking about. I, absolutely, it's like um, what do they call it? It's like that vacuum effect. It's like a vacuum. Yep. Like you pull them out, they're coming right back in there. But that's why you got you know stay, stay on top of them, but also have good habitat out there. But uh, anyways, so he's like, yeah, I want to trap the rest of them. You know, I should be able to you know, trap them, no problem. And then I want to do hanging highs. I'm like, dude, that'd be sweet. And he's like, hey, also, I've got like six coons on one trail camera in one spot. He's like, I want to do the same. I want to do like just hides with them. I just want to tan some coon highs. I'm like, oh, yeah. Well, I just call Andrew. I'm like, Andrew probably could do the tan, like coon highs. That probably won't be too I've hard. I've tanned a bunch of coon hides. Dude, that'd be awesome. Uh, but no, so I was talking to him also. So that farm, so the family farm is like 89 acres. And it's uh, probably, I keep going back in my mind, it's like, 70-ish percent cut has been cut in the last 10 years. Uh, and a lot of it is just natural regrowth. Like it hasn't been planted with anything, any kind of ponds or anything. And there's parts of it where you got, you know, three, almost four-inch diameter saplings, like sweet gun saplings. And uh, I was talking to him because he's talking about running a fire through a good portion of it. And uh, we were talking about it, and we had just got done with Kyle Sides. Dude, have we talked about I that? Don't, I was about to say, I don't think you've talked about that burn on here. All right, we'll, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Okay. But anyways, so we did that whole Prashad fire, which I'll talk about in just a second with Kyle down their their family farm uh, in the Black Belt. Same place we snipe hunted. So yeah, same place we snipe hunted. Ran a pretty pretty large fire through there. It was, it was awesome. It was an, uh, you know kind of into the into the night. But I was talking to him, like, man, when are we gonna do a fire? Because I'm like, okay, we're gonna do like a winter fire, and he's like, no, no, we're gonna do a growing season fire. And I, again, I'm just super green. You know, there's probably a lot of people know you know what I'm about to say, but I was like, why do you want to do a growing season fire? Why not do it now and just like burn it up? He's like, well, you're not going to kill all the saplings right now. Even, even, you know, unless it was like super, 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 super hot and scorched everything. Uh, he's like, we'll do a growing season fire, like in like April or maybe like over into August, something like that. And he's like, we'll run a screaming hot fire through that stuff. And he's like, it won't make it. And he said, it'll be awesome. Next year. I'm like, all right, cool. So we're going to get that lined up and ready to go. I think he said, we might look to bar- burn a portion of it. 
uh, in April, and then uh, look to do the part later in the summer, for, or late summer. So, so why is that? Uh, for the growth uh, grow season? Yep. Uh, it's because you want to kill off like all those saplings. So, as he explained to me, and actually I talked to a couple other guys that clarified for me, when all that saps, like in the wintertime, a lot of these deciduous trees, the sap is down in the root system. You run that fire through, that's like the lifeblood of the tree. And then the fire through, it's not really hurting that sap, and that's kind of like what's going to damage that tree. Top kills the tree, and then it sprouts. Yeah, well, th- there you go. Um, but in the summertime, or like in the growing season, they say, you do it with that sap and everything's run up the down the tree, and you can scorch it and just, just kill it, and there's no coming back from that, especially if you do it like right before winter happens. Um, but anyways, again, just I'm learning a lot here. Not, not, don't nobody, you know, nobody at me, you know, because I'm like, <laughs> I, I barely know what I'm saying, but it's, it's really interesting. No, I'm joking. Um but uh, but no. So Kyle, our buddy Kyle, he invited me down. This is a couple of weeks ago to go do a prescribed fire at his farm, and they're like, "Yeah, yeah." Dude. During the snipe hunt, he was like, "Hey, we're about to burn this. If y'all want to come down here, torch it up." And I'm like, "Hey, kid, because I've never done it. You know, I didn't go to like you know forestry school like Andrew did for you know a little while and get a lot of pines. And did y'all ever kill a group of pines down there? Did y'all kill? No, that wasn't us. That was some that was somebody else. So I think uh, Kyle's brother. I think he was talking about that. Like he knew somebody that was down there as part of that group or like the biologist who like did it and like anyway, yeah. got in a lot of trouble because they like killed like a, how old, you know how old the pines are? I mean, they were big mature pines and uh, yeah, killed some. You killed, know how hot that fire should be? Oh, it was, yeah. And how tall that fire? Oh yeah. Which, well, I mean, even like a, a regular, I mean, even the fire that we did, uh, which is a pretty intense fire, but I was like, I was pretty surprised at how, how intense was it, it got. Was that Loblolly or, or Longleaf? Loblolly. Uh, and it was a sweet gum. We were doing the same thing. We were um, burning to like to kill the sweet gum understory, and it was springtime, so it was after the sap started to rise. And uh, yeah, we ran a really hot fire through that stuff, killed them jokers. And sometimes, <laughs> you know, it doesn't just because you burn it doesn't mean it kills all of them. So sometimes they'll they'll sprout back, and, or you'll top kill it, and then they'll start sprouting back from the roots again. And you just gotta like keep burning it, and eventually they'll die. You gotta stay on top of it. But that's what we did. And man. Those fires get crazy, especially as like the fire starts burning. Like we burned a square block, and the way that we did it was uh, basically people. We had like several people in a line that walked through the middle of it with torches. I was like right in the middle of it, dude. It was intense because I was like, oh my gosh, because everything's like lighting up behind you. And uh, yeah, that fire when it gets so big, it starts like feeding itself. Like the air around the fire starts like sucking. Well, into that's the, fire. the kind of fire y'all did. Y'all burned a super hot fire. That wasn't like a like a like head fire or like backing fire. That was like y'all were going in and probably the hottest thing you could do is just walk straight through with a bunch of drip torches. And like, did y'all like encircle the whole place? Uh, we draw. So there's like one. So if if you think of it like like a square parcel, okay, and we're like on the eastern side. Somebody walks up the eastern boundary from south to north with a drip torch, and you have people lined up along the eastern boundary. Once the person walking north passes you, you walk west, okay? And you just and you walk and you drip from the eastern boundary to the western boundary. So you've got one side, you know, getting lit up, and oh, yeah. then you're lighting it up uh, with, like, strips. Or, I, there's a term for it. I can't remember it. Yeah, but, it's, called, it's called hot as hell. Yeah. It, <laughs> oh, my gosh, dude. It burned, and it lit up quick when we did that, dude. It was it was so fun. I'll say this. So, uh, going into it, I was kind of naive. I was like, oh, I don't know what this is going to be like. And, dude, it was a lot more intense than I thought. Like, it was <laughs> way more intense. So, so into this. I wish Kyle was on here because he could talk some crap about me. But, uh, so, you oh, know, I'd love I've to ne- hear that. Never been on fire. Oh, dude, it was hilarious. And he's like, uh, he said, hey, so, you know, we get out here. You know, we were starting on the backside of the, on, on the, one of the boundaries. And he's like, and we had like a, 
say it was a southeast wind, and like our back was to the west. So it's like we cannot let this fire. Now, you know, we're like six yards off the off the uh, the fence line. Uh, there's like an old field right there. He had plowed up like you know a strip, you know, six yards wide, eight yards wide, or whatever. Fire break. Fire. Oh yeah, yeah. But I was getting to it. But yeah, plowed up a fire break. Uh, right up against the tree line, and uh, he's like, just you know, we gotta make sure the fire gets in. Like we gotta burn this first like 15, 20 yards. And then we got to run a couple of like lines through it, and his brother's going to do that. But he's like, we just got to make sure it can't jump back across because there's an 1,800 head of cattle on the other side of this fence, <laughs> and uh, that won't end well. No. Yeah. Ooh, man. That's, that's stressful. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That's why I was like, I didn't understand the intensity, so he started telling me that. I'm like, oh, this is like for real. <laughs> and like, anyways, so, uh, you know, he dripped, they, they did the first little line, and like, at first it like wasn't really taking that much. Like the humidity like switched real quick on us, but it was like, it was a really windy day. Mm-hmm. Like it was like dry and windy. But no, there was some moisture. It was like southeast wind, and like it was dry. And then for some reason, like some moisture came in or something. And like at first, like nothing was lighting. And then, that's why y'all had to wait till the evening, right? Because y- y'all didn't burn during the day. Y'all waited till it was almost yeah. Because the conditions were like scary during the day. He's like, dude, we can't. He's like, the winds, the wind. winds way too way too high. And then it's also like, I think he said it was like sub twenty um, percent humidity with like super high winds. And he's like, dude, I don't trust it. It's like when this one ember jumps across that fence, we're screwed. Um, so anyways, so we, we pull up, we do the whole thing. He's getting a lot, he's getting ready to like, you know, run the drip torch. And I'm just there just for the experience, really just kind of helping out driving ATV, driving side by side around. And we had sprayers on, we had two side by sides and a four wheeler on one four wheeler and one side by side. We had, uh, like big pump sprayers, like electric pump sprayers, like 45 gallon sprayers to like, in case like fire, you know, jump the line, maybe we'd use that or like, you know, or pat it out. Um, or also some of the trees, they didn't want fire to get up on certain trees, uh, that were around the perimeter that had a lot of stuff on it. So we were spraying them down with water. Um, but anyways, he's like, Hey, Hey, go get you a pine bough, uh, pine branch in case like something jumps, you can like swat it out. Like, you know, the, you know, fire jumps the line and, uh, I'm like, okay. And I'm like, well, there's no pines around, but there's some cedars. Like, can I, what about go grab a cedar branch? And he's like, he starts laughing. And I'm like, what? He's like, dude, you do that, you will become a human torch. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, dude, that sucker will go up in flames so quick. I'm like, I'm like, okay. I'm like, okay, I'm not gonna do that then. He lights that fire, dude. <laughs> dude, there's like a 15 foot cedar, 12 foot cedar, whatever. And that fire runs, and finally the fire is like picking up, you know, picking up, you know, some height there. It hits that cedar, and I'm talking like, it went from like looking like a, oh, that's a pretty cedar. Just, I mean, 12 foot flames engulfed. Hit it, 12 foot flames. Scorching the pine tree behind it, it's just I, up. He's like, "That's what would have happened to you if you had a pine, <laughs> if you had a cedar branch in your hand." He's like, "That resin just it's like hot." Oh man, I was like, "Oh, well, thank God we didn't do that." But uh, found a timber rattlesnake. First rattlesnake I've seen in a long time. While we were down there, we were running that line, and it started moving off the line. And I was like, "Oh, oh this is yeah. interesting." So we had snake boots on, but he's like, "There's definitely gonna be some snakes down here." Like they're like they see timber rattlesnakes all the time. But uh, anyways. Not long story short, but we ran that fire, and it was, I think, I forgot how many acres it was. It was, I don't know, 40, 50, 60 acres, something like that, uh, that we burned. And uh, it got crazy because the like, light started like dimming down, and the fire started like kind of raging, kind of pushing up through the, some of the trees. And uh, it was mixed hardwoods and pines. So you had some pines in there that were like real small. Like, they're like five-year-old pines that were just kind of like naturally sprouted that they wanted killed anyways, and like briars and all that kind of stuff. And what was crazy was, I saw some of this area before the fire went through, and then I got to go in after dark when the fire had pushed through it with a headlamp and see what it looked like, and it's crazy. I mean, literally, it's like 
It's like, oh, here's a thick, nasty thicket, dude. And then the fire comes in. Oh, man, I can walk through this. No, no problem. Ain't no bar left, man. Yep. I mean, just I'm talking rip through there, dude. Rip through there. <laughs> and I was like, that's pretty awesome. So like, really kind. Of, but also, what was kind of interesting is you'd be going through, and all of a sudden, there's like an island of stuff that didn't burn. Mm-hmm. That's like, you know, 10, 15 yards wide. And like, why didn't I burn this? There's no more. It doesn't feel like it's wet here. It just didn't burn. But and and Kyle's like, man, you know, because he's like, I should brought the drip torch in here and light that up. But I'm like, well. You get the kind of diversity. So you get these little thick patches in between like all this other stuff. So it's not like completely burned. There's like these little openings. There's these little thicket areas. And uh, I'm like, dude, this is going to be awesome betting first off for some of these big bucks. Then the turkey's going to be in your scratching and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it was it was cool. But one of the craziest things, a little bit later in the evening, sun got down, the sun dropped uh, and uh, moon came out and the wind actually started picking up. And we ran that fire. So we pushed from the, like the, uh, the Western boundary in, then they ran a fire all the way down, um, the farthest, I guess, North boundary along the power line. And then his brother ran in there and was running long lines off like these main roads, uh, or like logging trails that were going through the actual air we were burning. Dude, I pull back and it's like, the force is red. <laughs> it's like, you sit back and I'm like, you didn't need a light to drive around. Like you, you could see, a hundred yep. yards in any direction. Oh wow! Without any kind of light, that's awesome. And it's just like, and it's burning. And like you see, all you, you like you can look out there for like two hundred yards with the fire running through it. And they, all you sudden you see like something like spark up and like it just real big flame coming. Like up oh, there's a cedar. Yeah, there's a cedar because <laughs> there were cedars all throughout it, dude. And uh, and we actually had one cedar. It got kind of sketchy. We had one cedar, a big dude. It was a cedar that if it was on our farm, we'd have tree stand in hundred percent. It's a 35-foot cedar tree, uh, big base on it, plenty of limbs. Again, those are awesome for little stand location, man. You go mm-hmm. in there, they can cut you out like a little opening. A little hidey hole. Oh, dude, we, we had a couple down the farm. And, like, when you drove by, you could not see the stand. Mm-hmm. Like, there's that tucked in there, but, you know, awesome for bow hunting. But anyways, we had a fire. Like, it, like, scorched around the base and burnt some of the branches on the base, but it didn't run up the tree. And all of a sudden, I look up, and there is a fire burning 25 feet up this tree. Like, it's like a nest, and it's on fire. And I'm like, how One did, of those embers hopped up. I'm like, how the heck did that happen? I'm looking at it, dude. I'm watching. I'm like, well, and they were like, if it burns, it's fine. It's like, no big deal. It ain't going to hurt nothing because uh, it was all by itself. But I'm just watching it, and just, it was just like glowing, glowing nice and hot like and a torch. I'm telling you, for like an hour, and finally it went out and didn't burn the tree down. Um, oh, wow. But well, it, I kind of want to see what that cedar looks like now. It probably looks goofy. No, I do, too. Um but then Kyle, there's a huge dead sea. I guess Al, he said Albert Power came through there cutting trees down that were like, he's like, I don't know why they cut the tree down. He's like, it's, you know, 75 feet from even like the edge of the, of the, uh, where the power line comes through. Hmm. And he's like, they cut that tree down. Like it's in the opening. It's on the, it's on the edge of the opening, but still 75 feet or so from just like the edge of the top, edge of the lines. And this is a cedar tree. It's not going to grow out very wide. And, but it's a big cedar tree. They cut it. And he's like, he ran over there. They ran a fire around it. And he's like, oh crap. Cause he didn't want to burn it because it was going to burn super hot. And finally, he, he ran a fire around it when it was dark and he didn't realize what he was running a fire around. Oh. He's like, all right, well, I'm just going to torch it. And we torch it. I actually got a pretty sick video where he torches it, uh, drips on it, and then he walks off. And it's like a, it's like a action movie, like an 80s, 90s action movie. He's like walking away. He's like, <laughs> I mean, dude, it's like fires just like raising up towards the heavens, dude. And he's like walking back, like epic, bro. This with a short build hat on, dude. Look, look, looks oh, legit. Oh, man. But, uh, yeah, it was yeah, it was awesome. It, it was that was a cool experience, and uh, but yeah, it got, it got kind of hairy, dude. I got real like I, I quickly learned like how quickly a fire could move. I'm like, this is like at first I'm like, man, 
I'm like, I can see this being dangerous, but I'm like, how, I'm like, I'm like I, don't, I don't understand like how dangerous it could be because I didn't understand like what the fuel load looked like with like the cover on the ground. Mm-hmm. And he started explaining it, and I saw some of those areas that had just a bunch of leaf because this place had never, this area had never been burned. Period. So it was like a virgin burn, and uh, he's like, you see fire hit like a certain like just like that uh, sage brush or that sage you know brush bunch, bunch grass or whatever. Yeah, sage, and it just runs through there. Almost faster than you could run with the wind. I mean, it was ridiculously how quick it was moving through there. And to scale up trees, and like, oh my God, that's how it kills you. Okay. <laughs> Did y'all burn the area that we snipe hunted? No, 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 no. Uh, remember when we uh, drove around, listeners will have no idea what we're talking about, and we came up to like the power line and we looked over and he had like a shooting gong down there, like a target. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, just like, we went down right there, like through that gate, mm-hmm. and it was like that stuff, like just back across that creek off to the left-hand side. Okay. Like that all huge wood block back there's what we burned. Okay, I got gotcha. you. I so, got gotcha. you. But yeah, it was a. Uh, it was awesome, man. I came back, dude. I was like covered in ash and like smoke and like I mean, <laughs> I felt like you know, and I'm a pyro. That's the thing. Like Kyle's, Kyle's like, oh man, pyro. If you're a pyro, you love this. I'm like, oh yeah, absolutely. I just I haven't let that inner pyro out recently because I got no reason to uh, <laughs> without burning my house down. So, uh, but yeah, that was oh, it was awesome. But then I came back. I was so fire. That's why I was. Talking to Anthony, I was like, man, we got to do a fire. Like, when are we doing it? You, you let me. <laughs> yeah, you come back, and you're like, what can I burn next? Yes, yeah, like, what are, we, what are we torching? And that's what, hey, that's what he's saying. So, like, one spot, he's actually bringing the Forest Service in or somebody, someone from the state, they're bringing a crew in to burn the rock garden there. It's like mm-hmm. that kind of a glade. Because he said there's over 100 cedars that he cut and this laid down right there. Ooh. And he's like, dude, it's going to be like, the, he's like, I don't want that liability. He's like, I'll be 100% honest. He's like, I want that liability. But he's like, that's going to be like one of the hottest fires ever oh yeah because they're all like st- they're like laid down it's a big hillside they're all like laid down kind of like crisscrossing uh-huh. he's like it's gonna i mean it's gonna be bad but he wants to do because he's gonna burn that up and it's like a really good bedding area right there yeah but it kind of grows a west facing slope so it gets real kind of thick and uh yeah it's gonna be awesome that's cool i want to be there for that i want to see that one i mean that joker is gonna go up Bunch of dead cedars. Yeah. And it's not even that big of a parcel that they're going to burn. I think he's going to burn. They're going to burn that up to the property line. And that's like where he shot that deer that we uh, tracked with Pepper. And like on the backside of those cedars, there's like, it's like a sweet gum thicket. Like a lot of stuff out there where it's like 10 foot tall sweet gums. You know, they're about two and a half, two, two and a half inches in diameter. Um, and there he's going to run a fire through that too. The all growing season fire. So it's just going to be super, super, super hot. And he'll just go in and put in all the fire breaks uh, with the tractor. But, uh, Dude, I'm, I'm excited because I want to, yeah, I want to sit back because we could actually sit in one of the shooting houses or the, sit next to one of the shooting houses in the shade and watch them light it and just kind of like ex- experience from the other hillside. It's going to be awesome. Oh, I need to film that. We'll, we'll have a cooler beer just sitting there like, all right, boys, this is <laughs> light them up. Let's watch the show. Yeah, let's watch it, dude. Absolutely. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I wish I could have been down on that burn with you and Kyle. Um, did he say what his uh, objectives were for that burn? Like, what is he, was he trying to just kill that, uh, that a uh, trifoliate orange? No, there was there flying, were, uh, there, flying dragon. No, there wasn't. There wasn't any of that stuff really in there. Uh, some privet. He wanted to just open it up. It was just kind of getting choked out by everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, just like really choked out with briars and all that kind of stuff. And he wanted to open it up, uh, get some more bare ground um, for, um, and really kind of open it up to like bring it back to more of those grasses and stuff. He showed me an area right next to it that they had burned like t- last year and kind of showed the difference. And it looks awesome, dude. Like one year post burn. And uh, they actually went back in there and burned that one again. He's going to put each of them on different uh, rotations. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, you kind of have that diversity all in one area. But, it, like, it for specifically kind of like that bedding, because a lot of the deer bed on the other side of the property. They don't bed right there for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And that's why he wanted to kind of run through there, burn a lot of stuff up there, some snags and stuff that he burned up. I mean, there was one snag 
like dead snag. That tree was burnt 35 feet up the tree. I mean, it was like, it was smoldering ash 35 feet of this dead snag. <laughs> like, that's how fi- the fire got all the way up and burned it up. And it fell out of the tree. Or, like, was, like, about to fall of the tree when we found it. And it was, like, at 9 o'clock at night when we were walking through there. Because, like, we walked back through the fire, like, back. There were some areas where the fire was still kind of closing in. Like, we walked in, walked into the circle where the fire was at. But it was, like, real slow because the humidity, like, jumped up. And it, was, it wasn't moving very fast. Mm-hmm. And the fire was only, like, a foot tall. So, you could, like, just step over it and walk around and check stuff out. And uh, we actually sat there and watched the. It's actually one of the coolest things I've seen. The fire, I mean, it, the fire might have been, again, like a foot high, but it was a slow roll. I mean, it literally wasn't moving more than, you know, just a couple of inches a minute, if that. And we're sitting there and we're watching it, like, slowly creep towards, like, this Virginia creeper or whatever. Or, uh-huh. And, like, just watch, like, how it reacted to the fire and, like, kind of, like, got burned up and everything because the fire sat on it for so long. And also, like, hit, like, um, what else it hit? It hit, like, um, like, poison ivy or something else and like some like uh water uh oak saplings like real small and like when the fire hit just watch it how it re- would react with the fire yeah and like kill it jumps in the fire yeah it's like, it's yeah. like that's kind of crazy dude uh yeah. but anyways but it's kind of it was when, when the fire died down it was just at that, that ring that you know it's probably a couple hundred yards you know wide but it's kind of sucking down to the spot you're sitting there and it's, it just sounds like a little like a little campfire just like crackling popping because like earlier it was like roaring dude i mean it was like freight <laughs> yeah. train roaring you're like what the? i know the fire like makes a sound there's like stuff dude, breaking it's, in there. It's, it's scary bro i'm not gonna like i'm just put it right there it's fr- dude if you weren't prepared for it i cannot imagine what it would be like to be in a wildfire god bless you I mean, oh my gosh, yeah. But it's it's crazy. I mean, it's... Stuff crackling. I still got those videos from when I did that burn, but those flames are like 15 feet tall. They're like burning way up the side of these pine trees, and like the bark is catching on fire, and the fire is running. running up the bark. And I'm just like, is this okay? Like, so, so let me say this. Very early on, one pine tree may or may not make it, and it was probably about a 18 to 20-year-old pine, maybe. 18-year-old uh-huh. pine, maybe. And it, that fire went... 20 how big was the pine because you can't really tell age by size like diameter uh big enough like on your climber like you wouldn't be you know, i don't know probably how, how many inches is that uh 14 maybe okay 14 to 16 14 inch pine but it ran up probably 20 ish feet or so maybe 25 feet it was like licking branches up there and it was like the branches were catching on fire on the pine tree <laughs> and, and kyle's like oh crap and it's like too hot like we couldn't spray it, and there's too much fire in between it, it was like there's because he didn't want to burn the ponds up and uh, he's like, that pine tree's not, probably not going to make it. And I was like, dang. And it, it was crazy because the fire was like real, this is real early. Like uh-huh. it, it didn't make it 20 yards off the line where we first started and that happened. So it went from like this little tiny little fire that was only a couple inches high to literally there was flames 20-ish feet high <laughs> in, a, in a matter of like 20 feet. And like, oh my God, that's like terrifying. Like, dude. Yep. And, and his brother, his brother uh, works on a cattle farm and does a bunch of burns for a bunch of properties. That's like what he does a ton throughout the year. And he's like running in there. That's happening, dude. He's running behind the line, doing one of those like parallel lines going into the woods and like circle around it, whatever. So like it burned even hotter. He came back out running like back through the smoke and stuff. And I was like, what the hell? I'm like, dude, yeah. That's kind of epic. Did uh, you get to run a drip torch? No, I, I'm, I'm okay, to be honest. I was fine watching it. Oh, we'll do it again. We're going to do it at the farm, man. Yeah, the drip Baby torch steps. is fun, dude. I, I'm so worried. I'm so worried about dripping on my, my boot and then we're going to have issues. Her pants like, oh, no, nah, you'd be fine. You said. You, oh, you'd be fine? You think they'll be fine? <laughs> it'll be fine. 70-30 blend of diesel and gas? I don't know how, yeah, how it'll be you'll fine. be fine. No. It's fun dripping it because it starts out, like you said, you, when you first drip it, you're like, oh, it's a cute little flame, you know? <laughs> it's just like, it's so small. And then you let it go like 10 feet into the wind and it's just like, whoa. Oh, it's, I mean, when that happens, when it goes from like, 
That's what it showed. Cute little fire, dude. Like, oh, it's a little, little fire. To like, woo. I mean, it's literally like that. You're like, oh, my God. Like, you're sitting there, you're like, oh, my God. Okay. Like, dude, you don't want to be on the other side of that fire. Like, yeah, I know. Yeah, I mean, I dude, I can't imagine, like, burning your own property and everything. Because, uh, like, neither of us have ever done that. Like, we don't own property, first of all. But, you know, I don't know. When you light it up, you're just like, oh, my gosh. Like, please don't burn everything else down. And that's like, I feel like it was a... Um, how do you put it? I feel like it was, you, you've got to go in with a mindset. And I think Chad Keith talked about this on one of the episodes. It might have been the episode that came out last week with them. Like, you know, they're going to kill some trees. Like, it's just going to happen. Like, if you run a hot enough fire, you're going to kill trees. It's just, it's just what's going to happen. But doing it at strategic times of the year, like doing it in, you know, a dormant season fire where, you know, you have a, a lot less likelihood of, you know, killing oaks and all that kind of stuff. Um, you, you know, you can run a little bit hotter fire, but, um, you know, it's just, that's kind of, it's just the casualty of like making better habitat, making better habitat. Um, but that's one reason why my uncle wants to put in, um, uh, longleaf pines down there on, on the farm and just put, you know, he wants to, he wants a longleaf pine. So when they get six, seven years old, we can run super hot fires through there and like not even have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of like what, what, you know, his mindset is. Um, but yeah, I don't know, dude, it's gonna be, it's gonna be cool. So. That's, what, what you get? What else you get? Ah, uh, dude, that's uh, that's pretty much all I got. I'm just looking forward to getting after some turkeys here pretty soon. I was gonna say something about the the fishing I've been doing lately, but uh, y'all can go over to Southern Waters to hear that. Yeah, because you had to talk about it in the outro. Yep. That so well, that comes out next week. Yep. Yep. So, yep. so which we chit chat about that, but yeah, you can Terrence with crappy. So, but. Other than that, guys, hey, listen, we appreciate appreciate y'all's support. Uh, thanks again for everybody's leaving us reviews, buying merchandise. Y'all are a huge help. Uh, thank you for all the Patreon supporters uh, with everything kind of going on over there, guys. Uh, and then also really appreciate everybody that's been sharing the podcast, especially as deer season's you know kind of faded away and turkey season's here. You know, we appreciate y'all sharing the podcast. You know, please just keep on sharing it with your friends, your buddies. Truly helps us out. Allows me to be able to stay full time and allows us to get to the point where we can get Andrew full time as well. So, guys, if you want even better content, listen, I'm gonna put it out there. If you want even better content in the future, and we got some ideas, but we can't do it with Jacob by himself. Uh, we're gonna have to have Andrew full time. We got to keep growing the show, guys. So if you want better content, you want some cooler content, uh, more in-depth information and detail, and also maybe some more video stuff, you're definitely going to want to make sure you share the podcast with more friends and family because the more people we can get to listen, the quicker we get Andrew to go full-time. So absolutely appreciate it. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) One of these days, man. One of these days. One of these days. All right. Awesome. <laughs> but, guys, just, again, click the uh, link down in the show notes. For hey, I'll leave us a review, man. We haven't got a new review in a while. No, we haven't. So five-star people, review. People have been leaving us reviews. They just haven't been leaving written reviews because I saw it jumped up a couple. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, but it has. Again, guys, go down the show notes. You know, Click the show notes below. Go subscribe to the Southern Waters Podcast. Share it with friends and family. Leave us a five-star review, written review. We'll read those as well. And, again, appreciate the support. And like Andrew said, leave us also, just while you're at it, a review over on the Southern Outdoorsman uh, thread as well. So, greatly appreciate it. And I guess as Mike would say every single week, y'all stay Southern.
All right, guys, we're starting to get kind of close to summer here. And you know what my favorite part about summer is? The Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard us talk about it a lot last year, and we actually got to meet a lot of you guys at that expo. Well, we're excited to announce we're going to be there again. This time it's going to be in Dalton, Georgia, June 28th through June 30th. We are going to be there all three days. We're going to have a bunch of past podcast guests there. We're going to have a booth where you can come by and grab some merchandise. And I'm sure we're going to be recording all kinds of podcasts there. If you're unfamiliar, the Mobile Hunters Expo is the place you need to be if you are the kind of hunter that listens to this podcast this show was literally made for you it is an excellent group of people that are going to be there a lot of whitetail killers from around the southeast are going to be there you're going to get to talk to them shake their hand learn from them in person make some connections and guys we get a lot of questions about hey, which saddle should i get which tree stand should i get what about this piece of gear what about that piece of gear How do I meet other hunters who want to hunt the same way that I do? You know, finding a good hunting buddy. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a place for all of that. So you guys don't miss it. June 28th through the 30th, Dalton, Georgia. We'll see you there.